Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, take your notes out, your, your app, your journal. We are uh, going to close down a series today. Uh, we call the series Love Means, and I want to, uh, we're going to talk about an important, important subject today. Uh, this is a big one, and uh, this is one of those things that I try to focus on uh, absolutely once a year to teach as a pastor, to train our other pastors on their campuses to teach on this once a year. It's an important subject. And I want to say this because there's a little bit of an added value to this. Here's what I encourage you to do. Grab your, grab your Community of Hope app. Grab, uh, your, uh, uh, something to write with. You're going to want to take some notes in this. This is a big, uh, topic. And so I'm actually going to even stick a little bit more closely to my notes this morning because I don't want to mess it up. This is, this is how important this is. We're in a series right now. We're calling the series Love Means. And we're talking about really, frankly, what love actually means. So like when we say we love someone, or when we say that we would like to become a person characterized by a spirit of grace, by a spirit of peace, by a spirit of love, what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, there's a little bit of a higher challenge on that because Jesus actually told his followers that we are to love one another. We are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you, what, love one another. And so that for us is a super important topic. And here's what I think about. There are all kinds of ideas. There are all kinds of opinions, some of them great, some of them really not great, about what it means to be a loving human being and all of that. And this is what we're talking about in our culture. I thought it was interesting. I was kind of studying and praying through that this week. And I remembered a passage of scripture that John the Beloved said in the, in the epistle he wrote. Remember, we think he wrote the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then he wrote some epistles later on, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John was often referred to as the apostle of love because he talked about love so often. And uh, even in his day, you can, you can see that he was trying to get his arms around this and to share with other people what this is about. And in 1 John 3.18, I want you to notice what he says here. He says, children, let us not love with words or speech, but let us love with actions and in truth. He could have written that yesterday, right? Because um, this is, we have, we live in a culture that has a lot of words and a lot of speech. And I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation and somebody said, love you, man. And you ever tempted to go, no, you don't. (laughs) But thanks for the sentiment, right? And so this is an important idea that we're talking about. Now, uh, just to bring everybody up, get everybody on the same page, because I'm going to take us in a wildly different direction today. We're going to do some deeper work today. But um, I was thinking about this, you know, like I think uh, if you were with us last week, I shared with you that whenever a relationship forms, this could be government and government, this could be individual and individual, this could be a best friend, this could be a significant other, this could be whatever. Whenever a relationship begins to form, those who study this thing kind of tell us that um, when that happens, the technical term for that is an alliance, 
and an alliance begins to form. And an alliance is, is sort of a coming together, if you will, if you're taking notes. It's, it's a coming together of, of uh, uh, two individual parties, and they believe that the coming together will have mutual benefit for both. That's an alliance. Now, the st- trouble that we looked at last week is every alliance has with it what we would call aspirations and expectations. Just to bring everybody up to this, we've, we've kind of warmed up to this idea last week. An aspiration, these are the things we hold on our side. They're basically the hopes and dreams that we have about a relationship, right? And, and, they, and to us, they always feel great because they're our hopes and dreams, right? And then, um, but, but the other person in the alliance has their aspirations. And to them, those aspirations feel what? Great. Why? Because they're their aspirations. But when I take my aspirations and I give them to the other person or entity in the relationship, it now becomes, say it with me, an expectation. And how do expectations feel? like expectations. Come on, some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, I, I share this now. It took, a, it took a literal decade for me to be able to get to the place where I could share this without shame and embarrassment. When Beth and I got married, you know, um, she's from Texas. I'm from Florida. We met in Kentucky, and we met in Kentucky at Asbury Seminary. Something cool happening up at Asbury right now. Yeah. Some of us are traveling there today to be a part of that. Let's stand for closing prayer. Okay. Anyhow, uh, so we were going to get married. I, I remember uh, when I asked Beth's dad if I could marry her, uh, her parents said, yes, thank God. But, but here's what they said. You'll marry her here in Texas. And I went, okay, uh, that's fine. So we, so we got married in Texas and quick as I could, I flew her to Florida. Yeah. And, and, and on our honeymoon, this is what I did. This is, this is how romantic I am. I drove her around Florida. I showed her everywhere I used to live. And I gave her all of my hopes and dreams about her life in Florida. And after a week, she didn't want to be married to me anymore. <laughs> it was the word. It was not. It was not. It was not my finer moment, you guys. And uh, I kid you not. It took me a decade to get over that and to see that for the bumbling move that it was. You know, aspirations and expectations. Now, when when aspirations and expectations collide, this is where we are. This is what we're talking about. And here's what I want you to know. All relationships, because they have aspirations and expectations, will collide at some point. And so right now, many of us are going, oh, I feel better right now, right? And that, that is just true. And so what we learned last week, if you remember, I took a passage of scripture that Beth and all of her wisdom had put on the inside of my ring because she intuitively knew we were going to collide. She just didn't know it was going to be three days into our honeymoon. But the collision happened, and, and so this is what Paul says, uh, what we have to do when the collision happens. So stand with me, 
Stand with me. Let's look at God's word and let's look at what Paul says. And we're going to shoot off into a, a different direction and dig a little deeper. So Paul says this. He's talking about being made alive in Christ. And he gets through with all that. He says, therefore. And then he says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, learn to clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And the Greek language here, I want to make sure everybody understands, is literally this. Wear these things like clothes. Put them on your person. And then he says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Then he goes on, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of your body you're called to peace. Be thankful, let the message dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom, psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord, would this word make its home in our heart? Uh, every single one of us listening to my voice, including the one who's speaking, needs this truth in their life. So come and do what only you are qualified to do. Inspire and motivate, convict, because you love us, and challenge us to live into this truth for we pray together in Jesus name and everybody said amen word of God for the people of God thanks be to God you're gonna have a seat here's what Paul's trying to create for us I think I mentioned this last week Um, he wants us to know if you're taking notes every relationship uh, creates its own weather I shared the illustration of of going uh, on our 35th anniversary took Beth to Alaska and I, 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 uh, we got to be near uh, Mount Denali. You want to show you Mount Denali? This is a picture of the Denali mountain range. It used to be called Mount McKinley. And you'll notice what's happening here. This is literally what's happening. Mountains are so big in our atmosphere, they create their own weather. And here's what I want you to know. Every relationship uh, that is important to you, every relationship that matters to you, creates its own weather. And this is really what what Paul is wanting us to understand. He's wanting us to understand that relationships um, take up this enormous space in our heart. Uh, We tend to take that for granted when, when all of the relationship is going well. And the first time a relationship starts to bump a little bit, which all relationships do, we notice it. Now, Paul um, tells us, uh, embedded in this passage of Scripture of what to do when our aspirations and expectations collide, there's a verse that's super powerful that I want to drill in today. It's verse 13. I want you to see it. He says, in fact, let's read this out loud together. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Now, stop right there. First of all, um, there's no condition to that. Do you notice that? He, he's assuming, right, all of us are going to have grievances that come and go. 
And then he says, forgive us, the Lord forgave you. And, and notice real quickly what he says. He says, bear. Bear with each other. And then he says, forgive. Forgive one another. And then he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So we talked about last week um, that we're, we're going to have to learn how to become a friend of forgiveness. And uh, I remember this. I, I don't know if I've ever shared this before. When I was doing my doctoral work before we came to Plant Community of Hope, and uh, I was part of 14 other uh, ministerial doctoral students invited into this cohort where we spent a year together, and we did all the coursework for the doctoral degree in a year, and then we left the seminary, and then all we had to do is write and defend our dissertations. And uh, we were, so we became fast friends. All of these were men called the ministry, already had some work in the ministry and wanted to, you know, further their education and all of that. And we became fast friends. And everybody was married in the group but one guy. And uh, this guy was um, super smart. He was um, super fit. He was super good looking. Not as good looking as me, but he was super, (laughs) super good looking. And uh, I could never figure out why he wasn't married. Like, why is, why is this guy not married? And one day, uh, another one of the guys in the cohort came to this group that we were in. We're about to go into class, and he was late. Paul, Paul said, oh, I'm late. He said, my wife and I, uh, we, got, we got in an argument. We had to sort it out. I didn't feel like I could leave. You know, we're depending on, we had this class project to do. And, and, uh, and we're all like, oh, I'm sorry about that. You know, hope, hope that's better. He goes, yeah, it was my fault. I finally just said, you know, I, I'm sorry. And when he said that, the single guy, like, poked up. And he goes, wait, you said you're sorry? He goes, doesn't love mean never having to say? I kid you not. He said that. And we all went, we know why you're single. We figured it out. And so, yeah, Paul is telling us about this idea of forgiveness and how important it is. And he says, we're going to have to learn how to bear with one another. Uh, and then he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And when I, when I think about that, I thought when I was working on my notes this week, um, why don't, before we go on and we learn more about forgiveness, and today I want to talk to you about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. But before I do that, because Paul says, forgive as the Lord forgave you, I thought I would remind you of how the Lord forgave you. And there's a powerful passage of Scripture in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus is hanging on the cross. Maybe you remember it. And uh, he has been crucified, uh, and he has uh, nails. I think we traditionally like to think of that through the palms, but really, if you look at the Greek language, the way it describes the hand, it really includes all of this portion. And we're thinking that he was probably crucified here because if, we, if he was crucified here, the, the, the hands couldn't handle the weight. And then his legs were, feet were put on top of one another, and 
He was, they were drilled through into that piece of wood. And so every time Jesus took a breath, he had to push up on his feet and on the nail running through his feet to take a breath. And one of the times he did that, he said that. When Paul says, forgive as the Lord forgave you, I don't know how to do that. How do we do that? Paul was reflecting on it once and he just reminded the church in Rome. Romans 5.8, he said it this way. He said, God demonstrates his own love for us. Yeah. While we were still sinners. Christ died. So much of forgiveness in our world today, we'd agree, right? It's sort of a quid pro quo deal. I'll give a little, you give a little. I just want to remind everybody in the room, (laughs) that's not what your Jesus did. He gave it all. Even while you were still among the crowd, right? I was reading this past week who um, spit in his face. What God, what God allows someone to spit in their face? (laughs) So I just want to say the bar is really high. It's really high. And uh, this is a big thing. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Love one another. By this will all people know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Uh, now, I want to I get very, um, very practical, but it's hard. And I just want to say, because every time I preach around this topic, I'm, I'm mindful of what's probably in the room or online. Uh, I'm not unaware. I'm not unaware. Uh, some of us are here, and uh, we have a circumstance, a, a memory, an experience, a thing uh, that's deep and dark. And we're not making light of that. 
For some of us, um, what I'm going to say and coach and teach in the next few moments, uh, it's generally important for all of us. But for some of us, there's a layer underneath it, this that the only way we can really learn to walk in forgiveness involves really a trusted trail guide, almost like a team of Sherpas to help us scale the mountain we have in our soul. Uh, sometimes that's a therapist. Sometimes that's a pastor. Sometimes that's somebody uh, schooled in healing prayer. So I just want to say that almost as a disclaimer. But having said that, um, I want to remind us of some things that are super important. Let's discuss real quickly, first of all, what forgiveness is not. Okay? Here's what forgiveness is not. Maybe you want to take some notes down. Forgiveness is not, number one, forgiveness is not forgetting. That's not forgiveness. The only thing required in forgetting is a misfiring neuron. <laughs> okay? So when you're forgetting, that's not necessarily uh, forgiveness. And I wouldn't say as a pastor, this is what I've learned after many years. Sometimes we block things out of our lives and forget them because they're so painful. That should not be mistaken as forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. So forgiveness is not forgetting. And next, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to motor through some of these, but they're all important. Forgiveness, secondly, is not um, excusing. Sometimes you'll, hear, you'll say that, oh, forget about it. Normally when we excuse something, here's what I like to think of. We, we excuse things that are probably more in the category I was thinking of these are the extenuating circumstances of our lives. These are the normal clunk against life upon life. It happens sometimes. You pull up to a four-way stop, you're counting, you miscount, you go first. Oops, you get out there, they beep at you, you know, kind of a thing. Then you're offended that they beep. This is kind of the world we live in, right? Um, but, 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 you know, I don't know that forgiveness is required there. That's just excusing excusing is at a lower is at a lower level um i want to share this too um forgiveness is not reuniting this is a big one uh, some people mistakenly believe that forgiveness is only complete when people reunite when they go back to the way things were before the offense but this should not be misunderstood as forgiveness, and quite honestly, some of this is dangerous to even think about doing. Additionally, sometimes our victimizer is dead or unknown to us, and so if that were a part of forgiveness, we would not be able to achieve it. Make sense? So forgiveness is not forgetting, it's not excusing, it's not reuniting, it's not, um, also, it's not accepting. Sometimes accepting can feel like forgiveness, but it's not the same thing. One writer in my study says it this way, we accept a person for the good they do or demonstrate, but we forgive the person for the bad they do 
or demonstrate. It's not the same thing. Forgiveness is also not smothering conflict. How many of you would self-identify this morning and just say, I tend to be a little conflict avoidant? Anybody? Let me see my friends in the room. How many of you are people more wired to, I'm just going there, I'm going there every time, I'm going there. My, okay. You're a little more my people. My wife says, Dale, every time? I'm like, every time. Okay. Um, sometimes, a lot of the time, conflict is, listen to this, conflict is a stage that forgiveness must pass through to be achieved. And if you don't pass through it, you'll never get to it. A lot of people live by the motto of no conflict, but rather than this being healthy, it's simply untrue and leads to bitterness. I love this definition. One definition of bitterness is like drinking rat poison and waiting on the rat to die. Come on. Forgiveness is also not um, tolerance. Uh, I've learned even in my own life, the truth is you can forgive someone of almost anything, but you cannot tolerate everything. And you're not tolerating what they do when you forgive a person. Is that, is that helpful? Um, just in the interest of time, I want to go on. Let, let's talk about what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is, watch this, it's a process shaped by four movements, which are outlined in Scripture. If we're going to be be people of forgiveness, we have to understand, sometimes we mistakenly think forgiveness is a single solitary event. Now, here's the thing. Forgiveness may start as a single solitary event. It's never a single solitary event. It may start there, but it's it's going to move. And if it moves, it's going to move, I think, around four movements. And I want to give you these movements. These are super, super powerful. Movement number one. Ready? It's this. Giving up the right to hurt back or get even. That's, that's movement one. That's just, that's on the dance floor. <laughs> Learning how to dance. That's all I got, right? That's pretty much all I got. Okay? Uh, I want you to notice um, what Paul says in Romans 12, 19. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. God's, God's working it out. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. That sounds like God is angry. It's not so much he's angry that he's saying, I am a God of justice. Justice will take place. And for that, we can uh, be grateful. Uh, This is what I like to think about it. If you've ever been hurt personally, deliberately, or deeply, the first step begins to take place when you suspend the law of vengeance. Now, here's what I want to say here. This This is a decision. You have to make it. You have to take the decision. Some of us right now in the room need to think about this thing and you go, I, I, I am going to suspend my right to get even. And let me just say this, right? When you get even with your victimizer, that makes you even with your victimizer. Who wants to be even with their victimizer? You getting my point? I need one other person to say yes. Okay. All right. 
We don't want to be even. We want to be better than that. Uh, John Ortberg uh, tells this great story about this guy who's an umpire, and he's uh, in a recreational league in town, and he's driving to get, uh, get somewhere, and, and, he, and he gets pulled over. It's raining. He's late. And we, we've all done it, right? And the police officer comes to the window. No offense to the police officers in the room. And, uh, and, and we try to put on our best whatever to get out of it. Everybody done that? Anybody ever done that? You're just putting on your best game, you know, kind of a thing. And this guy is trying to do everything he can do to try to get out of it. And, and he starts explaining what he's going to do. And the officer just cuts him off. And he says, tell it to the judge. <laughs> Writes the ticket. So a year goes by. And the umpire's at the game, you know, he's at a game, and who should step up to step into the batter's box? But the police officer. And and they recognize each other. And and, and the police officer says kind of sheepishly, so uh, how did it it go with the ticket? And the umpire says one thing, swing at everything. That's not step one, okay? So this is step one, movement one. Want to go to another movement? Here's another movement. Movement two is allowing God to reshape a new way to see another person. Paul says in Romans 12 too, uh, do not conform to the pattern of this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We talk a lot about this at Community of Hope, that, that, that literally God can reshape the synapses in our mind. One of the great fields of medical science right now, frankly, is neurobiology, which is how the brain repairs itself. Uh, some of us are here this morning and we're coming out of addiction And uh, addictive behavior shapes our brain, whether we're talking about drugs or a substance or porn or whatever that is. And when we come out of that and we get free from that, our brain can reshape. And so this is literally, I think, what Paul is saying here. We begin to develop a new way to see another person. I've shared uh, bits and pieces of this story. Uh, My dad... Uh, grew up in a home in New England that was had some dysfunction to it. We all kind of grow up in various stages of this, but my dad, my dad um, joined the Navy at 18 to get out of the house because it was just not healthy. Came down to Green Cove Naval Station uh, in ja- outside of Jacksonville. My mom was a civilian secretary on the, on the Naval base. They met, fell in love, and He came in to get a drink out of a water fountain one day, and her desk was near the water fountain, and suddenly he was thirsty every day. (laughs) It's a beautiful, beautiful story. And uh, toward the end of uh, my grandmother's life, I always had this woman I didn't really know. I had this other grandmother. And then finally one day, my dad, uh, while we're in New England, he introduced us to this other person, and I learned this was actually my dad's mom. she had a lot of struggles in her life. She was an alcoholic. Uh, she had burned through every relationship in her family. And she got near the end of her life in a desperate state, and uh, she had no one. Sometimes addiction will do that to you. 
And she reached out to my father. It's one of the things I love about my dad. And my dad was a peacemaker. And so he took her in. And he took her in and he, he said, uh, you're going to live with us. You're not going to drink. Uh, my dad was a strong man. My dad said, uh, my house, my rules. And these are the rules. And so this woman lived in, moved in with us. We didn't really know. And uh, he said, one of the rules are uh, we go to church every weekend. And so he took her to the East Campus. And she eventually gave her life to Jesus. But near the end of her life, my dad started calling all his siblings and said, um, hey, she's, she's not going to be here long. And if you want to make amends, um, she's ready to do that. No one did it. But my dad. And I've thought about that when I've been in situations both to receive forgiveness in need of it and to extend it of how important this topic is, right? And uh, my dad just began to see his mother in a different way. She was a person. She had circumstances that came to bear in her life. She had aspirations and expectations colliding. Movement three. Big one here. Learning how to wish your offender well. Um, Those who study this stuff tell us that we'll spend most of our time here. Uh, This is not ignoring the past. Watch this, y'all. It's beginning to see past it. Um, I was reading once where C.S. Lewis said he ran into a man in town uh, near Oxford where he studied and taught, and he said he recognized when he met him that he, he finally had forgiven this person. It had been 30 years. It took him 30 years. That's movement three. One other other movement, which is this, gaining freedom from the tyranny of their hurt. This is less a movement, everyone, than it is a landing space after the other three movements that you put in place. And can I just say a word of grace to everybody in the room? These movements, they're like a dance, right? So you go forward, you go backward, you're over here, you're a little back. I was meeting with somebody not too long ago who said, um, in working forgiveness with a situation in their life, said, I thought I was doing so well, and one day I realized the onion had one more layer on it. Sometimes we do that, right? This is what happens. But it's so important, when you work these other three uh, movements, you get to the fourth movement, which is gaining freedom from the tyranny of their hurt. It is here... Those who write about this say that you are disconnected. You become disconnected from past hurt, and this is the goal. Now, I want to close our time. I know we're right on time with a a quote by Frederick Buechner. I love his writing. This is a scary quote. 
Of all the deadly sins, resentment appears to be the most fun. To lick your wounds and savor the pain you will give back is in many ways a feast fit for a king. But then it turns out that what you're eating at the banquet of bitterness is your own heart. The skeleton at the feast is you. And all this starts with holding a grudge, which is not forgiving, but in the end, the grudge holds you. Um, Here's what I want to do as we come right up on time. My guess is, every one of us, you are listening to the teaching today and you've got this filter. You're thinking of the thing, the it, the whatever. And what I want to do is uh, I want to pray over you. And I want to remind everybody in the room, every one of us needs to put this in practice. And every one of us is on both ends of this. The need to extend it, the need to receive it. Lewis Smedes writes about forgiveness. He says, um, forgiveness is God's creative dance to keep his love in relationship with humanity. So what I want to do is in a spirit of prayer, let's just hold our hands out like this. And would you in your mind and in your heart right now confess the area or two where you need to work a forgiveness plan? Hold that before the Lord right now in this space. Ooh, Lord, I feel like right now this is, uh, man, this is holy ground. And a lot of us are, um, we're, di- we're digging up some bones here. And I pray, Jesus, um, for every person. Some of the most painful scenarios of our lives are the ones that are present in our mind and heart in this space right now. So God of mercy, God of grace, God of comfort, manifest your presence in these situations and circumstances with faces and names. And Lord Jesus, would you give us the capacity only through your special power to begin to want to want a plan of forgiveness. Uh, I pray where some of us are locked up, where you've been locked out. I pray where some of us have made a vow and we've said never again. Where what, Whatever that is, Lord Jesus, that is holding us back, that we might be able to get on the other side and be free from the hurts we carry. Would you, like a skilled surgeon, Jesus, come right now and begin to dislodge and to remove what is infectious to our souls. We ask that you begin the work here. And we ask that you begin the work now. Even as we close by saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Praise God. Let it be so. Go in his peace. Go in his hope. We'll see you next weekend.